Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. It's always been an honor uh, to, to be the pastor of that church. I, we're going to do something entirely different with today's show. Um, in ministry, ministry can be a very uh, lonely profession, a lonely field, and yet the Lord really graces you uh, with just some interesting connections, some interesting uh, relationships. And over the last two years or so, I've had the honor and privilege of getting to know uh, a man that I not only admire, I not only respect his ministry incredibly, but but has really become a dear, dear friend. And his name is is Ed Taylor. Ed is with us on the line. Ed, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, Zach. It's really a blessing to be with you and uh, to be with the audience and allow uh, the Holy Spirit to use our dialogue and discussion to build people up and encourage them. And thanks for having me. Amen. Just because maybe a lot of the audience is not familiar uh, with you and with your story, um, could you just take a few minutes here and give uh, just some background context um, about how you came to know Jesus? I- I've heard a little of your story, and I think it's a, a really um, aside from you being a lifelong Dodger fan, there's a lot I admire um, about about you. But could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, just how you came to know the Lord and, and where God called you out of? Um, a bit of your testimony. Yeah, I'd be honored to. I, I think it's easiest to start where we are now. I've been here in Aurora, Colorado as the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Aurora for 18 years now. And we moved here. Uh, from Southern California, uh, where I was born and raised just outside of East Los Angeles, uh, and where I was saved uh, most of my life until I was 23, was just lived for the world. Uh, As I went into junior high and high school, I was introduced to drugs and alcohol, which my personality is this all-or-nothing personality, and and alcohol and drugs just wrecked me. Uh, And by the time I was 23, uh, my life was in a trajectory that it would have gone one of three ways. It would have gone toward an early death because of the life that I was living. Uh, it would have ended in prison uh, because of the life that I was living, or it would have ended in an early death in prison uh, because there really was no hope for a guy like me uh, by the time uh, alcohol and drugs and the party life had taken its toll and it was about that time, I think it was the third time uh, that I was uh, charged with a DUI that uh, I hit another bottom in my life. And it was uh, an invitation from an old friend that I grew up with to come over to our house and talk to us about Jesus, uh, of which I was not very interested and he came over, and as he shared with my wife, Marie, he was talking about church and religion and things, As and I, and I avoided him. He, As he was leaving, he says, you know, Ed, you should just check it out. Uh, I know you're not interested. He was very respectful. He said, but here, just check it out. And that was hard to say no to uh, because I felt that I could check it out and find every single thing wrong with this church that he was associated with, but... Uh, I ended up going to check it out. Uh, it was Calvary Chapel in Downey, California. Pastor Jeff Johnson. Before you, before you get to that, just out of curiosity, growing up, um, had you had? Um, did you grow up in a Christian home, a Christian environment? You know, how, how did you end up um, in this particular lifestyle um, that led you to three DUIs, that that led you to to dependency and drug addiction? Um, had had there been any influences uh, younger before then? Um, had the Lord been reaching out and you just had been ignoring it? That's a great question. Uh, we, we've looked back, I've looked back and and thought a lot about those days. My, my parents were wonderful people. Uh, they, they were moral and religious to a point. We, we did go to church as kids, but at about the sixth grade, we just stopped going. Uh, th- that part of our lives was completely pulled out. And for a kid, you know, sixth grade, I'm like, well, man, if I can sleep in on Sundays, that's great. I, I didn't have a concept of what that meant. We weren't the kind of family that prayed before meals. We weren't the kind of family that read the Bible. My my parents weren't overly affectionate, but they were great people. And they were not uh, uh, drug abusers. They were, they, they didn't, they didn't, there wasn't alcohol in the house. 
I just was a bad seed. That's the only way I can look at it. I, I was a bad kid. I was bad my whole life. I don't quite know why I was adopted. Uh, so my parents brought me into their family as a baby. Uh, they were the only parents that I know that I have. And I, I like to say sometimes when I share my testimony that that I was rotten even as a baby. And that's why they spanked me. I was just rotten. I was a bad kid. And there was no question as to your sin nature. None whatsoever. And there would have been uh, no hesitation for anyone to to just look and feel. I, I used to say this with my mom and dad are now in heaven, but I used to say this with my mom and she hated it, which is one of the reasons why I would share it every once in a while that I was so <laughs> bad. I was such a bad kid that my mom would often go and look at the adoption papers and turn them over to see what the return <laughs> policy was. <laughs> she didn't like that. So, you know, I... I spent 10 years as a youth pastor and and one of the things that really jumps out right from the right from the start about your story is that you had you had spent years in church and then right as you're going into those middle school years 6th grade uh, it stopped and um and that that really you you lost something there do you, do you think you lost something when going into those middle school years the, the church just kind of disappeared yeah, I think that the, even the the time that I spent in church, we weren't. It wasn't a very engaged church. It wasn't a very evangelistic church, as far as what I can see now, looking backwards. Uh, I, I think what what happened oh, going into middle school and high school wasn't that I lost something; is that I gained something. The whole world, my world, was just this little elementary school in my neighborhood across the street. But when I went to what we called here in California junior high school. The whole world opened up to me. I I wasn't even aware, at least in a conscious level, of of the ability to drink alcohol until somebody offered it to me. I wasn't even aware of illegal drugs until someone put it in front of my face and the peer pressure. And and so what I gained was peer pressure. What I gained was was these sinful opportunities. What I gained was more time away and more opportunity because my parents both worked. I was a latchkey kid growing up. I had a lot of free time. I had a lot of opportunity to sin. It was a recipe for disaster uh, in every mm. sense of the word. So you end up spiraling middle school, high school. Man, I mean, you you partied into your early 20s. and that In that time period, uh, you got married. Um, your wife was not a believer as well, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I met Marie in high school. Uh, she was she's two years younger than me, so as a freshman in our high school, she was coming in brand new. They gave her check this out. She was so set up for success that they gave her the locker directly under mine. <laughs> And I remember it was it was fate. It was fate. I remember walking up the stairs. There's a whole story behind that. But the first day I walked up the stairs, turned to the right, and I saw this girl standing at my locker. And I I had this thought. I said in my mind, I said, "This is going to be a good year. Uh, this is going to be a good year." And <laughs> turns out it was a a good life. Although we're not the typical. We, we aren't the typical high school sweethearts. We were, our, our relationship w was very volatile. I, I was not a nice person. I was a very mean person. I, I didn't know how to treat a young lady. I didn't know how to respect her or her family. I, I, I had problems in every area of my life. I, I wasn't a good son. I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't a good boyfriend. So we were off and on for many of those years. And on one of the on occasions, uh, she got pregnant. Oh wow! And that that changed the entire course of our lives uh, in a in a very real way, and and that that began a whole new season in our life when she be, she she became pregnant. Okay, so you guys you, you have a, this little nucleus, this family. You're still a train wreck, and then a friend invites you to Calvary Chapel Downey. Let's jump back into the story when you go to church for the first time. I worked I worked a 12-hour shift, so I'd work from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and church started at 7. So I would, without telling anyone, I took my friend Jack up on his offer. I drove over to this church, uh, which was near where I worked, and parked my car. It was the height of the Gulf War. My brother-in-law was deployed. 
I'm facing jail time, uh, about ready. Uh, this was the pattern in my life. We would get ahead. Uh, we had been married for a year or so up to this point, and we'd get a, a little bit ahead financially. Then I'd do something stupid, and it would wipe us out. We're there again. And one thing that Jack didn't know uh, was the work of the Holy Spirit behind the scenes. I was I was really a mess. I wasn't just a sinful mess. I was very fearful and concerned about my future. I was tired of of the light, the, the, the result of my life as it is. I was just, it was hard. Everything was hard in my life and I was looking for answers. I wasn't looking for answers in church. That, that wasn't on my radar at all. But I mean, I was, it's such a desperate place that I actually went down to the bookstore at one point and bought uh, Dianetics uh, because of the commercials. It looked like, man, that if, if I can learn that system, then, because I was a systems guy, you know, I was a work in a system and uh, being able to adapt and learn something and and be able to master it. Uh, and I felt, and I, I remember reading that book in the first couple pages. And I'm like, this is crazy stuff. There's no way this this is crazy and and tossing in and nothing really ever worked. And I tried many many things and. So I walk into. So you were you were a searcher though. I mean, you were searching. You just didn't really know what for. I, I was searching. I was searching for some kind of peace of mind. And and really, if I had to if I had to summarize what I thought the solution to my life was, it was more money. If I just had more money, I could buy my way out of things. I could give my family a peaceful life. I could. Uh, if it was, I, I I really had that that summary. If I just had more money, and of course. That was the one thing that God continually kept from us. Uh, we just never seemed to get ahead. We always were in deep in debt. We it was it was disastrous. And and so walking into the church, walking into the church, I was I had that familiarity with a church. Although this was very different, there were three thousand people standing room only in this room on a Wednesday night. Really, the atmosphere seemed like they really liked what they were doing. Uh, they really enjoyed it. They were singing the songs, which I didn't really like the music. Uh, the guy comes out to teach the Bible, and and he looks like everyone else sitting there. They're all opening their Bibles. I I made some observations, but but really nothing came of that first night. Uh, but it was intriguing. Uh, it wasn't at all what I thought it would be, and so I kept going back every Wednesday night. And I didn't tell anybody I was doing this because I didn't want to ruin my reputation. Uh, you know, what are you doing on Wednesdays? It'd be better for them to think I was partying than going to some church service. And it was maybe the fourth or the fifth time that I was in that church service that uh, I was paying attention to what the pastor was teaching, although I didn't quite grasp what he was saying or what it meant. He was studying in Revelation, trying to piece together the events of the day. I I didn't understand that piece, but there was a consistent theme that seemed to be picked up in my mind by my spirit, and that was God's love for me. And And I fought that because I remember having these thoughts of, there's no way God could love someone like me. And you know, if everyone in this room knew who I really was, you know, the guy that greeted me and the guy that hugged me, which, by the way, hugging was really weird. Uh, that was a weird thing. <laughs> that was hard for me to adapt. I don't, I, I was really weird. I mean, in a real way, I'm like, what is this? I, don't, I didn't come here to meet anybody. Uh, I don't want any, especially I don't want you to hug me, but. <laughs> don't touch me. Yes. Don't touch me. Uh, and, and as I was processing this love, I was thinking, you know, if everyone knew me, uh, and and all this hugging and nonsense, like if they re we really knew each other, there'd be no love. God that can't love knuckleheads like me. Look what I've done to this girl. Look what I'm doing to my son. Look what I've done to my parents. It's just I'm a lost cause. And and yet that that fifth night, I think it was the fifth night, the love of God was just really penetrating. And like there was this emphasis of no Ed, no God does love you. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you to prove it. And wow. and I didn't leave early this time. I would always leave early to get get away from the I, what I now know as altar calls and invitations. He would give a few invitations, and and one and one night in particular, uh, if I if and by the way, Zach, if I would have known these details were so important, I would have written them down. I didn't know even at that time that a testimony or like remembering every step of these things would be so important. But from my recollection, it's still. I would just say for people listening in, write these things down because they're very important. You don't ever want to forget them. Well, Ed, let's pause this this story at, at this point 
And, uh, and if you're listening, please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Ed Taylor. If you're in Georgia listening right now in the greater Athens area and you don't have a church home, we encourage you to check out the church that Zach Adams pastors, Calvary 316. Not only would you be hard-pressed to find a collection of people more real and genuine about their Christian experience, but the entire outlaw radio culture of grace flows out of the ministry of Calvary 316. Keep in mind, Calvary 316 is a church that's relaxed and uber-contemporary, but is unapologetically believer-focused. We focus our service on teaching the Bible in order to see Christians grow and mature in their faith. To learn more about the church community or to access Zach's sermon media, please visit calvary316.com. Once again, that's calvary316.com. Now, let's get back to Pastor Zach and Ed Taylor. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're joined uh, by a dear friend, Ed Taylor, and we've been listening to a story an amazing story of, of a lost cause, a guy down in his luck who, who thinks that God couldn't love me, going to church, interested, but still wrestling with these things. Ed, could you, could, could you pick us back up with that moment? I was, I was able to, to leave early in previous services, but this last evening, I, I really didn't sense the need to leave early, and so I waited through the last song, the the invitation, Pastor Jeff Johnson, he gave the invitation. And again, 30, 20, 30 people responded. And, and, but he did something different this time. He gave a second invitation. And he looks over to the person leading us in music and says, Dan, would you go do another song? Because I think there's more people here and he gave to, that need to respond. And he gave this invitation. And then another three or four people came up. And, and then... He paused again, and I'm sitting way in the back, so I'm not seeing his facial expressions or anything. I'm in the last row of this room, ready to bolt, but but I'm gripped by the environment, and I'm gripped by the message and the message of love. And he gives one more invitation, a third, a third invitation, and and he says something like, you know, we're we're wait, we're going to wait for you. Uh, there's still someone here that's wrestling with the love of God and wrestling with this this uh, desire to follow God. And 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 you know, you, your 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 heart is beating really fast right now. And I I turn inward and I feel my heart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart is beating really fast right now. And and I'm thinking because this is the time of Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and my me and my dad used to make fun of those guys and mock Christianity at night and. And I'm thinking, this guy, this guy's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. This is all happening in my head. And this is just a televangelist. What do you mean? Heart, but my heart was beating. So there, it was beating fast. And, and then he said, and, and your, your hands, they're sweating right now. And they're, 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 you're just fighting this. And I look at my hands and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, he's, he, everybody in this room, this guy's waiting on me. And, and I get up and, and I respond I just wow. I come to the conclusion that I need what I'm hearing is true, uh, what I, I what I what, what what's happening in my life is true. Uh, I don't have all the vocabulary. I don't know it all, but but I'm walking down and check this out. So you know, and I, I walk down and and I pray. I believe I was born again that night. I was immediately delivered from my alcohol and drugs and Incredible. and even cigarettes. Incredible. There was a lot of other things God had to deal with me for sure, but those things immediately taken away. Well, check this out. My buddy Jack, that's where he goes to church. And and I'm sitting maybe 25 rows back, uh, 30 rows back, and he's about in the fifth row. And the timing, we don't know the timing exactly. But at this particular service, he is turning to his girlfriend, now his wife, Debbie. Uh, and again, we all grew up together and went to school together. He's he's turning to Debbie and he says, you know, this would have been a good night for Ed. And this would have been a good message. We need to get... And, and as he's saying that, I'm walking by them. And oh, that's awesome. You know, the rest is, is really just God's story lived out in me because I, that same personality that got me in so much trouble that couldn't, didn't know when to stop drinking and drank myself into blackouts and did many things uh, without self-control, now tempered by the Holy Spirit self-control, but that all or nothing, um, that all or nothing attitude has, is really what God has used to bring us here to Colorado. 
Well, let's fast forward the story. You, you give your life to Jesus. There's this immediate transformation. God starts doing some things. He starts working. Now, you didn't the next day uh, load up the load up the, the the minivan and drive to Colorado. Explain a little bit about how you are where you are, how you got there, how you got from giving your life to Jesus to now being used by Jesus in, in a very powerful way. Well, we ended up staying at Calvary Chapel in Downey for eight years uh, before we moved, and we became a part of the body. I did. I was in such a mode uh, that whatever Pastor Jeff said and was confirmed from the Bible, I just did it. I mean, whatever he said, if if there was an action to be taken, you know, share the gospel with your parents, that's what I did. Uh, share the gospel at work, that's what I did. Anything he said to do, um, I would do. And and I would match to the best of my ability uh, with obedience. And of course, there was so much discipleship. I mean, it's still ongoing even now, but there was so much that God needed to teach me. I needed to learn how to be a son, how to be a man, how to be a dad, how to be a husband, how to be a friend, all of these things. Uh, needed to be added into my life. I, I truly, I, I know it even sounds, some folks are listening in and just sounds like, that's just crazy. I can't believe a person could live their life like that. But it's it's true. I, I just was, was a bad person. And I just learned how to skate by in life and get away with things, although I couldn't get away with everything. And and so we we plugged into the life of that church. And my wife, again, she was following my footsteps. She ended up coming to church with me and that's a whole different part of the testimony, but she's she's born again. We're on different tracks, really, in our relationship with the Lord, but they started to converge after a couple of years. We had a couple more children uh, in, in that time period as well, so that now our family's three children, not just one, and, and I started serving in various capacities in the church. Uh, then they started entrusting me with, with different places of leadership. To the finally, the last couple of years I was there, I was the singles pastor, serving uh, the the singles of our fellowship and ministering to them. And along the way, God just planted in my heart uh, a desire to see a ministry like Calvary Chapel start in a place where there wasn't one. Because in Southern California, uh, there's there's really a Calvary Chapel at every corner. Uh, there, it's it's very saturated in a wonderful way because there's plenty of people there uh, to do the work of the ministry, but it was like I wanted to see and be a part of what God was doing from the very beginning, uh, and mm. and that moved us along with my job. I was working in the corporate world. I took a transfer with my, my job in the corporate world here to Aurora, Colorado, and there was a group of people already meeting. We met them, ended up taking the leadership of that fellowship, and now 18 years later, we've seen God do wonderful things through the ministry here. How, as a Southern California kid, have you adjusted to the cold? I mean, you didn't just go someplace. Clearly, God was calling you because, I mean, it's cold in Denver, in Aurora, where you are. How do you cope with the cold? I just, I have three words for you. I hate the snow. Uh, actually, that's four words. But <laughs> I hate it. It's the worst season uh, of the year, although in Colorado, uh, there are phenomenal seasons right now the leaves are turning so you know there's so many vibrant colors but i hate the cold i i hate the cold in california i hate the cold here i hate the snow i hate the ice i hate shoveling uh, and all of that but i do appreciate that god would still allow me to serve him and i've learned to embrace it you know i i was one of the places we were praying about zach to go was was chandler arizona uh, that was right. at a time where there was no Calvary there either. And as we were weighing that, not only some practical things, but just kind of weighing that, I came to the conclusion that with cold, at least you can put on a jacket. Uh, with the hot, that's true. You can't really do much with the hot. Or in, in another place, that's true. <laughs> I think I've shared this story with you too. Another place we were praying about was Marietta, Georgia. Uh, we had some connections there and uh, work connections because I was really looking at places where I could work. Uh, so that I could support the ministry. And Marietta, Georgia, between the bugs that are large enough to carry you away and the humidity, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a particular wickedness, uh, the humidity and the mosquitoes in Georgia. Yes. Uh, real quick, so your Calvary Chapel Aurora is your church, and, uh, and you've been there, you said, 18 years. Um, how in included did your family become? Because, you know, it's not just your calling, but it's a calling that your wife and you have three kids 
as well. Can you explain, um, as we get close to kind of transitioning our story, can you explain a little bit of your family life uh, as you're growing in ministry? Well, the real redemptive story that is going to be lived out in in our lives and in my life in particular is the transition that took place in our family. I mean, the the salvation of the dad makes all the difference in a family, and it certainly is the case in in my life where everything turned around. And I think I went a little overboard in those early days. I was probably more legalistic than I needed to be, but even God redeemed that where my family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so it developed in my family something that neither Marie nor I experienced in our families, and that was a closeness. Uh, and there was a new family unit that God was developing with a new direction. And And our kids, they, they loved uh, they loved following God. Uh, they love following God as they still are following Him to this day. And and so the decision to move was one that took years, really, to come to. Uh, as we were praying with other families to move, and we included our kids and treated it like a big adventure, like Abraham taking a step of faith and just really jumping into what God had for us. And and when we moved here, uh, my oldest Eddie was twelve. And then my son Josh was seven, and then Katie was still a baby in diapers. And Katie really only knows Colorado. She was raised here. And and it was it was a family decision. And if there was any hesitation with my wife or any hesitation with our kids um, that was meaningful, we would have to keep praying and wait for God to give confirmation. Right. But they loved it. Right. They this is where they this is where they grew up. I mean, it was hard. I mean, that that could be a different topic for a different show, but the life of a pastor is hard. The life of a church planter is very, very difficult financially, Absolutely. emotionally, Absolutely. all of it. So it, they they loved it and they, they're still they're still loving Jesus to this day. Well we're running up against a hard break. This story does take a bit of a one eighty. Please if you're listening, don't go anywhere. You want to hear what happens next. Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. We want to take a moment and encourage you to check out Pastor Ed Taylor's websites. First and foremost, Ed is the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Aurora. And that's in Aurora, Colorado. So please check out calvaryaurora.org to learn more. And Pastor Ed also has a personal blog uh, that we'd encourage you to check out. That's edtaylor.org. Again, calvaryaurora.org and edtaylor.org. Okay, make sure and stay with us. We're going to pause right now uh, for station identification, but we'll be back in just a moment as Pastor Zach Adams and Pastor Ed Taylor continue their conversation. Thanks for joining us again. Here's Pastor Zach and special guest, Pastor Ed Taylor. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're joined by Pastor Ed Taylor. Ed and his family moved from Southern California and planted a church in Aurora, Colorado. Ed had three kids, Eddie, the oldest. It was a ministry family, a family affair. And if you're listening to Ed tell his story, you know, you just kind of take a step back and you think, wow, the grace of God, just the blessing. It's easy to see in the first part of Ed's story, God's grace and the blessing, the, a thriving ministry, a growing family, redeemed out of just terrible things. But God's grace is also just as sufficient in our suffering. And it's kind of with that that I want to pitch it back to you here, Ed, uh, that, that you can kind of tell the audience what, what ends up happening, um, particularly with your son, Eddie. Well, Eddie was a champion. I uh, love that guy. He was born to us in high school, uh, teenage parents, uh, and the, the story behind his life is, is a dramatically beautiful one as, as he was used by God to, to keep Marie and I connected over the years, and which led to our marriage, which uh, led to our salvation and so many, many wonderful things. And he was a vital part of the church plant. He served in children's ministry. He served with our little book table. He would go early with me and stay late with me. He was such a, a good friend of mine, and I was blessed to to raise him in an, into adulthood. And 
Eddie ended up becoming a state trooper here in the state of Colorado. That he he found his calling in life was to protect uh, and serve the community as a Colorado state trooper, and he ended up uh, moving into that career, getting married, having a child of his own, and Marie and I were just so grateful for what God is doing in his life. He lived his life so different than us. He got to reap the benefits of a life lived well for the Lord, uh, to the Lord, in the Lord. And it was on a Saturday morning uh, that Eddie went out to mow the lawn. And as he was mowing the lawn in in his front yard, he suffered a catastrophic cardiac arrest and a cardiac arrest oh, is not a heart attack it a heart attack is is like the hardening of an arteries where blood doesn't get to the heart a cardiac arrest is when your heart stops uh, the electronic signals from the brain uh, get mixed up in some way and he collapses in his front yard and a neighbor saw him uh, from across the street and rushed over and began CPR on him and by the time he made it to the hospital they had revived him and put him in um, in the in the ER and then the ICU put him on a ventilator and he was in a coma uh, and uh, we received news of that we were away on a pastoral getaway with some other couples Marie and I we received news of that and we rushed back from the mountains here in Colorado to the hospital and the initial reports from the doctor were very positive, very encouraging. Uh, he sees these uh, things all the time. And based on what he saw within his body and his internal organs and everything, it was very positive. We just really needed to wait 24 to 48 hours uh, and let his body recover. And they did all of those things. And, and we're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, 24 hours a day in the first couple of days, just pleading and praying that the church is praying. And, and what happened in those first couple of days is that, uh, he did not wake up out of that coma. Uh, and then the, the prognosis became, well, we need to wait a little bit longer. And of course we're like, of course we need to wait and we're going to wait. And, and we did, uh, and through some circumstances and decisions that were made uh, that were Marie and I were not a part of, uh, they decided to put him into hospice care and no longer wait for him to wake up. And my son went home to be with the Lord uh, in May of 2013. Uh, and uh, of course, that was the, the most significant trauma uh, that Marie and I have ever experienced in, the entire, in our entire life. How old was Eddie? He was 27, 26. He had just turned, I want to say he was 26. Wow. As a, as a father of two little boys, I can't, I can't even begin to wrap my brain around um, the tailspin. You know, so, so often pastors get put up on a pedestal that, you know, people forget we're human. And in this, this trauma, how did it affect you? Like what, what was the, I mean, aside from the obvious, I mean, what happens next? What happens next is we are plunged into the depths and darkness of grief. Uh, like, like I've never experienced before. We've had some setbacks and difficulties for sure. And we have not been immune to everyday trials and difficulties and, and some really sleepless nights. I mean, I mean, even in, even when before I got saved, I got myself into a lot of bad situations. I've even faced death eye to eye a few times, but nothing like grief. I, I mean, I I thought I I, I took it um, I, I took it extremely hard, and Marie took it extremely hard. I've got my son in Bible college. My son Joshua, he's in California. My daughter, she's sixteen. Um, she's she's here at the house and it it is just taken i mean we had just watched our grandson had just had him over to the house uh not not a few days before eddie collapsed and 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 it was bright and sunny and it just felt like um the sun has gone down never to rise again uh the house became dark and grim uh i really 
had no idea. I had no idea what was going to be my life. I really had no idea. It was disastrous. And I took a extended leave of absence from the church and basically uh, sat on the corner of our couch. Um, if I ever, if I even got out of bed, uh, sat at the corner of our couch here in the front room day after day, just stuck in sorrow, grief, tears, darkness. You know, C.S. Lewis said something. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. He said, I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning, the I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. Uh, there is a sort of an invisible blanket between the world and me. And I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It's so uninteresting. And yet I want others to be about me. And I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they talk to one another and not to me. It's just unbelievable. The um, It's hard to describe. It was just dark, uh, deep, and um, hopeless. I, how, how, did the, how did Eddie's death affect your relationship with God? It challenged it in every way. In every way. In every way. Um, I, I questioned God. I questioned my salvation. I questioned, I asked the questions that, that others ask. You know, God, is this your reward for faithful service? Uh, why did you let this happen? Um, every human response that you can think of. Fortunately, um, using the word every, I need to make a, uh, I need to make sure that, that I clarify one good thing that God was still, you know, that Bible says that when we are faithless, he remains faithful, is I didn't turn back to the bottle and I didn't turn back to any kind of drug or anything like that. I I felt this uh, head on and I took it head on. Uh, it was very hard, um, but uh, it was very difficult. And I asked the same questions anybody else asks. I, I wondered, you know, was my call to ministry? Why did we move to Colorado? You know, if I didn't move to Colorado, this would have never happened. Uh, on and on and on. It was devastating in every sense of the word. We're coming up against a break, and I think that this is probably a, a good place to take a break because I know you today, and I know that you have your your moments where these feelings and emotions resurface, but um, I've been... You and I became friends after these things happened, and uh, and to see in the context of what's happened in your life, the joy and the peace uh, that you have today. Um, when we come back from this break, would you mind just talking a little bit to the audience about how you came out of of this depression, how you how you were able to overcome this measure of grief, and and how you were able to move beyond some of these questions that you were really. Uh, wrestling uh, with the Lord. Would you would you be willing to stay for just one more block? Sure. Right, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Ed Taylor. One of the things we want to accomplish with Outlaw Radio is to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then seek answers on their own. The sad truth is that there are many Christians walking around representing Jesus with literally no clue why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to our show tackling the tough topics you might not hear on Sunday at church, we want to equip you, inspire you, and challenge you to study God's Word and wrestle with these challenging topics on your own. To aid you in this process, we want to share a resource we find incredibly valuable. Check out blueletterbible.org. In addition to a treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org has an incredible word search function as well as the ability to dive into the original language behind a text. Basically, blueletterbible.org simplifies the process where you can study the Bible on your own. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're with Ed Taylor, and Ed's just shared uh, the story of a tragedy, a son uh, that passed away way too young, and the depression, the tailspin, the darkness, the grief, the questions that quickly that quickly emerged. And, and Ed, could you just talk a little bit to the audience, especially for the person that might be going through similar things, um, how the Lord has ministered to you? What, what have you learned about Jesus through this experience? What have I learned about Jesus through the grief and the loss of my son is, 
is a depth of his reliability and his faithfulness. Uh, you know, the I wish I could say, you know, four years later now, four and a half years later, some of the questions that are asked is, you know, I know you now. And of course, coming to Georgia when we did uh, to serve uh, at the Calvary Chapel there in Stone Mountain, and that's where I met you. And uh, that was th- those trips uh, God really used to to help me uh, move forward because that's the key. Elizabeth Elliot says uh, that one of the greatest things we can do when we're facing adversity and hardship is to do the next thing, do the next thing. And there came that point when I was sitting on the couch uh, here in my house where I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Ed, you can't sit here forever. And then my response is, but I want to sit here forever. I really don't want to live anymore. I really don't have anything to live for. And really wrestling with the fact that that's not a true statement. I have children. I have a wife. I have friends. I have a church family. Like So you you sound in the midst of, of being, it's like being punched in the gut, but you're being punched in the spirit. And, and your mind is just filled with the most dumbest things, the most unspiritual things, the the the, the that make you feel like you're not even saved anymore or like what who am I? Why am I thinking this? And and yet, you know, a loss a loss like this, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's a parent that goes home to be with the Lord, I mean, from our perspective, no matter what the age is, death is always untimely to to you and to me. Nobody. Death, the Bible says, is an enemy. And it's true. Jesus has overcome sin and death, but death is still an enemy. It's no friend. Uh, it 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 tears apart at the very fabric of relationship and and love and and I was surprised at all the crazy things um, that were filling my mind. But I started to do the next thing. I started to I, I got up and I I agreed with God and and I went to go visit churches before I came back. I wasn't even sure I was coming back to the ministry. I didn't think I was capable. I didn't think I could do it anymore. I mean, and mm. and 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 I have to. We're four and a half years later, and and it's important for people listening to know that I still have feelings like that. That those feelings have not left. You don't get. To, I, at least I haven't gotten to a place where healing has meant that those feelings have gone away, or those days where discouragement turns into depression, then maybe turns into sinful self pity, and then woe is me, and I'm sitting under the broom tree. And God is saying, you didn't even make that broom tree. You know, why do you care more about the tree than you do about people? And uh, just really having my relationship with the Lord has always been a little raw, but it's much more raw now. And I, I'm certain that the, our church dynamics as a pastor has changed because some people just don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, they don't want to hear about their pastor going through something or, but it's so much a part of my life that it comes it comes out in my teaching. It comes out uh, in in times where I'm speaking to people. My heart is different now, and a part of it, part of me died and went to heaven. And so, there's a lot of me that's living on earth, but hopeful for heaven. So you came, you came to two important realizations, if I could summarize it, to agree with God that some things are not answered, and then to move forward. It, would that be a, a correct a correct assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think that would be uh, a very accurate thing for the person listening that's in the depth of grief right now and, and overwhelming. Nobody seems to care or nobody seems to understand, and, and your mind is racing where the only one that is constant and steady is the faithfulness of God. And fortunately, uh, there's a part of me that never left the Word of God uh, I did have a lot of mindless days just vegging out in front of a television, but but I still read the Word. I still read the Bible, even if I didn't want to or didn't get anything out of it. I was still tethered because I do have a real relationship with God. It, even though I questioned it and even though I wondered about it, it is real. God God truly is in in our midst. He truly does come to heal the brokenhearted. He really is drawn to brokenness and humility and contriteness and and how com- much compassion he must have had. I mean, imagine, yeah. uh, I, I can think of the many times, you know, thinking of my kids, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where they're sick, they have a high fever. And I remember distinctly, I would go into their room, I would lay my head on their head and literally beg God to give me their fever. And just give it to me, God. Let my kid, give my kid a pass 
and I'll take it from them. And, and I can sense that love of the father who would draw near to us and in a very real way demonstrate that he has taken our pains and our sorrows upon himself by the sacrifice of his own son and that you, intimacy. You know, that's, that, that's a wonderful, a wonderful picture which leads me to kind of a, a, another question related to all of this. What advice could you give to a friend, you know, who loves someone and sees that person struggling with grief, struggling with depression? Like, could you give some advice to the friend of, of how to handle the Ed Taylor, you know, that, that's in this particular position? You know, I actually uh, write on grief now at my blog, edtaylor.org. And one of the big topics uh, that I've written on is to answer this question in particular. And in a general sense, we we have reserved for us in the scriptures the, the true story of Job and losing everything, including his children. And his friends came to him. And we have two two separate opportunities to learn from his friends. The first opportunity is the first seven days that his friends spent with him, they were silent. And that was in a very effective time. They were there in what I call the ministry of presence. And the best thing that we can do is to make ourselves available to be present with our friends, to be available to them, um, just just to, to be there, uh, to, to cry with them, to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, avoiding avoiding the kind of statements and thoughts of, that might be judgmental or trying to push them through a season of grief or trying to move them on. Just be there. Be there with food and notes and texts. And even if you don't get a response, it's one of the most selfless things you can do. And the thing that we learn not to do is from the second episode with his friends, and that is become very opinionated, try to explain everything. You know, Zach, I've heard a lot of things that I've had to learn um, for example, someone came up to me um, when I had returned to church and started serving, and 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 I and the sister said, "You know, Ed, um, I'm very sorry that you lost your son. I know your pain. I feel it because last week or two weeks ago, my dog died, <laughs> and I had to learn. I had to learn yeah. to to look people like that in the eye and say, you know what, Lord, they love me. They're trying. They don't know what to say. They're trying to express themselves to me." And just accept the heart of the matter uh, without listening to the words. And and so as friends, we can be real sensitive with our words. And we can be real sensitive just to be that. It's a, it's a real test of friendship because I have to say, Zach, in this time, the revelation of grief and sorrow has revealed true friends. And unfortunately, it's also revealed folks that uh, were just friends in name. And, um, you know, it's a weird it's a weird thing that trials and difficulties reveal, and it's not always positive. And, and so I wrote a couple articles on that at edtaylor.org. Um, there's a, quite a few grief articles there that uh, it's a brand new ministry for me. I never expected to be a part of uh, ministry to the hurting uh, and, and to the depth of grief, but it's become a very fruitful ministry, and I believe God uh, is using uh, this tragedy uh, to bring about a lot of good in people's lives. And isn't that isn't that a wonderful like redemptive legacy that that even today uh, your son Eddie is still impacting uh, he's impacting countless numbers of people um, in ways that you never thought but um, you know Jesus wept Jesus experienced these things he's been there what a powerful story man thank you so much for taking time out of your day and uh and sharing your story with the the outlaw radio audience i really do appreciate it well i appreciate you having me on and i just know that there's a lot of hurting people listening and and they've learned to cope and they've learned to move forward but but the lord wants to bring and continue to bring deep healing into their hearts through the love of jesus amen well listen You've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. If you liked what you've heard, I encourage you to check out our website, which is outlawradio.org. You can also access our podcast through the site so that you can catch up on all the previous episodes. This episode, if you're listening live on the radio, will be posted uh, that you can download and share. Uh, so much jam-packed into this that I think is, 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 is much needed. Anyway. Thank you for joining us. Much grace. I hope you join me again next week. God bless. 
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.